Hello and welcome back to your spooky podcast. This is Tales at 3 a.m. Where we discuss the strange and the unusual and the paranormal and the unknown. This is episode 5 where we discuss the folklore, the modern adaptation, and a little bit of the history of what we know as the vampire. So sit back and relax, close your eyes, turn the lights out, and get ready to listen to Tales at 3 a.m. So what is a vampire, you might ask? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that really depends on who you ask and can depend on what country that you are in and what period of time you are referring to. Ladies and gentlemen and creatures of the night, the vampire did not get its stardom from vampires such as Lestat and Bram Stoker's Dracula. The idea of the vampire can be traced back all the way as far back as ancient Egypt. But before we go back that far, let's look a little bit closer to our time. And let's discuss the, the term vampire and where it comes from. Vampiric entities have been recorded in culturals all around the world. However, the term vampire with an I was popularized in Western Europe after reports of an 18th century mass hysteria of a pre-existing folk belief in the Balkans and Eastern Europe that in some cases unfortunately was resulting in corpses being staked and people being accused of vampirism. Local variants in Eastern Europe were also known by different names and you may have heard some of these names but if you haven't that's okay. Striga in Albania and Strigoi in Romania And if you've seen the latest adaptation of the movie, The Invitation, involving vampires, 
Dracula in that movie calls himself a Strigoi. And when I say 18th century mass hysteria, I'm referring to the 1700s. In modern times, the vampire is generally held as a fictitious entity. Except for a few modern cases of hysteria that took place as new as 2017 and in early 2000s where people were believing people believing that certain ways in which people were dying in certain countries were being the result of vampirism. But getting back to earlier beliefs of vampirism in other countries, especially that in the UK, people had the belief, especially around older societies of huge religious presence, that when someone had passed away, and of course back then when you didn't have that much knowledge of anatomy and of decomposition and of the body and you would have deaths taking place in the area and of course you had poor drinking water poor living habits and poor health and people would begin to die as a result of this well they would say that it was the work of satan so people would begin to think that, oh, well, people who have passed away, there must be something spiritually evil taking place with, you know, the nuances of the people having previously died. And so that they would go out to these mass graves and they would dig up the graves and them not understanding biology or anatomy or how decomposition works, they would see people with larger bellies and they would see blood being pushed out of the nose and out of the mouth things of that nature and their skin would be of a different pigment other than what they thought it should be and so they thought that their relatives had come back to life at nighttime and had been doing horrendous things to their family these same people also had the belief that demons or spirits would inhabit their loved ones' bodies. They would rise from the grave and go to cause mischief and harm to family members at nighttime in their beds. You see, it's interesting to note that most modern recollections of what we consider being vampires as of now we look at vampires as being youthful and handsome or beautiful, looking thin and looking pale and always trying to seduce to drink blood. But if you take that modern adaptation and you put it up against the adaptation of a long time ago, they do not coincide. As a matter of fact, there is a huge difference in what people thought that vampires were then compared to what we think vampires are now. As I said, a large majority of people in the past believed that vampires were more of creatures 
and more creatures inhabiting people and evil spirits inhabiting people and making them into creatures that would go around terrorizing or draining blood. In the past, people's depiction of vampires was that they had a fuller belly and, as I said, they would have blood coming from different parts of their face, such as their nose or their mouth, and their skin would be drawn back with their mouth and with their nails to make it look like newer skin, and unfortunately, people did not understand body decomposition at that time so to them it looked like something new was taking place and to them it looked like as if they had just finished feeding or drinking blood with their stomachs being bigger so they took that as a sign that their relative had come back to life as discussed previously the causes of vampiric generation were many and varied in original folklore in both Slavic and Chinese traditions, any corpse that was jumped over by an animal, particularly a dog or a cat, was feared to become one of the undead. Go figure, you're laying a body on the ground and they consider you possibly being an undead if Fido decided he wanted to jump over your body to go grab a frisbee. A body with a wound that had not been treated with boiling water was also at risk. And would you believe in Russian folklore vampires were said to have been witches or people who had rebelled against the Russian Orthodox Church while they were alive. Goes back to something I had said in a previous episode where if there's ever a rebellion by a person against a church, they always seem to have hell to pay in the end. There were cultural practices that often came about that were intended to prevent a recently deceased loved one from turning into an undead reverend, or what we would like to call a vampire, by burying a corpse upside down was widespread, as was placing earthly objects such as scythes or sickles near the grave to satisfy any demons entering the body or to appease the dead so they would not wish to arise from the coffin. Go figure. There were other methods that were practiced in Europe including severing the tendons at the knees or placing poppy seeds millet or sand on the ground at the gravesite of a presumed vampire. They thought that the vampire, if the vampire awoke, that the attention would be drawn to the seeds on the ground and the vampire would be preoccupied with counting the seeds. I guess they thought the vampire was stupid. There were rituals of long ago that were used to try to identify a vampire and one such method of finding a vampire's grave involved leading a virgin boy through a graveyard or church grounds on a virgin stallion. The horse would supposedly balk 
at the grave in question, or if holes appeared in the earth over a grave were taken as a sign of vampirism. Yes, people really did believe this back then, but I also have to ask myself what would it be the the mindset of people back then because you didn't have Facebook and Twitter to turn to. It was thought that the corpses who were vampires were generally described as having a healthier appearance than expected. As mentioned before, people believed that vampires looked plump and showed little signs of no decomposition, but you have to understand that back then people really did not understand the biology behind or the science behind decomposition. So what may not look like something as it should be does not mean that that's not what was taking place. But people really had nothing scientific to go by, so they would see something and automatically say, hey, he doesn't look like he's dead enough, so he must still be alive. You may ask the question, how did early people try to ward off vampires if there was such a hysteria and such a belief in vampirism and people coming back from the dead? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. There are several different items that are common in vampire folklore that were used to ward off vampiric entities, if you will, such as garlic, which everybody has heard about before, at least one point or another, I'm sure, a branch of a wild rose and hawthorn are said to harm vampires, and in Europe, sprinkling mustard seeds on the roof of a house was said to keep vampires away. I guess they just didn't like Grey Poupon. And of course, we all know about crucifixes and rosaries or holy water that's said to be able to ward off or incapacitate a vampire. And folklorish vampires are said to not be able to walk on consecrated grounds, such as churches or temples or cross running water. So I guess if you find one running towards you, I guess it's a good idea to uh, run into a Baptist church real quick. As I said earlier, the term vampire did not exist in ancient times. But both blood drinking and similar activities were attributed to demons or spirits who would eat flesh and drink blood, and even the devil was considered synonymous with the vampire. The Persians were one of the first civilizations to have tales of blood-drinking demons. Creatures attempting to drink blood from men were depicted on excavated pottery shards that were found during archaeological excavations. During the 18th century, again being the 1700s, there was a frenzy of vampire sightings in Eastern Europe with frequent stakings and grave diggings to identify and kill the potential revenants. And it was so widely known that even the government officials engaged in the hunting and staking of vampires. So you can imagine going to uh, graves and digging graves up and then stabbing people who had already passed away. That sounds like a really great pastime on a Sunday afternoon. 
despite this being called the Age of Enlightenment, during which most folklorist legends were you know, crafted, the belief of vampires increased a lot, resulting in a mass hysteria throughout most of Europe. And the, uh, the panic began with an outbreak of alleged vampire attacks in eastern Prussia in 1721 and in the Habsburg monarchy from 1725 to 1734, which spread to other locations. One of the reasons for the hysteria was due to a widely cased situation in which a man passed away. He died at the age of 62, and it was believed that he came back to visit his son. The idea of vampirism has been associated with many past situations, not just simply about death among family, but also about widespread disease, and as I said before, decomposition not being understood by people, and premature burial. We've all heard the cases of people being accidentally buried alive, or having bells tied to the people so that in case they actually were still alive and the doctor pronounced them dead incorrectly, that if the bell rang, they knew that they were still alive and they would dig the grave back up. But yes, many ideas of widespread vampirism has collectively in some ways come down to widespread death and disease among villages and cities and people not understanding what was taking place so they went with what they considered the best answer at the time and they took it as being something spiritually evil and they resulted to calling it vampirism even going as far as as i said before digging up family members and not understanding biology and staking them and believing that they had found a cure for the common cold. You may not believe this, but rabies has been linked with vampire lore due to susceptibility to garlic and light being thought to being due to hypersensitivity which is a symptom of rabies. So yes, even the underlying effects of rabies has made it into vampires being sensitive to garlic. And the idea of the vampire bat, and yes, we are going to discuss the the vampire bat in this podcast. The idea of the vampire bat sucking the blood out of his victims or that Dracula or a vampire turning into a bat I'm sure you know by now is basically falsehood and I say basically because there's no one out there turning into a bat however vampire bats do drain little blood out of cattle and sometimes have been known to want to drain blood out of humans but bigger people it's not something that happens all the time but there have been cases of it and the bat being called a vampire bat 
was given its name through the folklore understanding of a vampire rather than vice versa. But a vampire bat in, in, in all of its likeness being attributed to a vampire, there is no such thing as a person doing that. So you can sleep better at night knowing that. The more modern adaptation of a vampire turning into a bat comes from the 1920s from the stage production of Dracula and from the movies where Bela Lugosi playing a vampire Dracula would uh, transform into a bat so that directly comes from movies not from historical preferences this would not be a podcast about vampires if we did not delve into a little history about Vlad the Impaler. Yes, we are going all the way back to discuss the time of the Ottoman Empire. And so, yes, Vladimir Torin, Vladimir Tempish, Vlad the Impaler, however you would like to describe him, Count Dracula, his father Vlad Dracul. Let's discuss that for a minute. The term Dracul was a term that was given to his father. It meant dragon. Dracula meaning son of the dragon. His father Dracul, Draco, it was an order of the dragon that his father was a part of. Now, the understanding that Dracula, Vladimir Torin, Vlad the Impaler, that he impaled people that he did not like and had them sitting on impalement spikes outside. Yes, you see a lot of that in literature, but after research and understanding, a lot of the idea of the kind of person that he was, a lot of it was not necessarily based upon historical accuracy, but more of it was based upon hearsay of the man. So for anybody really, including myself, to sit here and say, yes, they called him the Impaler because that's what he did, Yes, we know that that is discussed. However, we also can find to where a lot of that was stories that was passed from people to people and that no one ever actually saw that take place amidst popular belief. So if we're going to look at the folklore vampire versus what was thought of as being a vampire in the 1700s and even before then. Earlier depictions of vampires were of demonic spirits or demonic entities or demons that would go around preying on people, going around drawing blood from people, going around enacting malevolent things onto people at nighttime in a lot of ways and they were looked at as being creatures of the night sometimes that would 
inhabit people's bodies and make them do bad things. And that is different compared to the folklorish understanding of the vampire, where you have it is more of these pristine and charisma type individuals, people that would go around speaking in, in a Slavic accent and would be very charming and things of that nature. Those are two different understandings of a vampire. And a lot of it has to do with the reinvention of the vampire over time, especially with movies and TV shows and whatnot, is a very different depiction of what they believed that a vampire was there to do, which was there to cause mischief and cruelty and to hurt and kill and cause widespread death among people so much so that you had amateur vampire hunters trying to help dig up graves and and take out people who were already dead because they honestly believed that they were coming back to life to harm the living the depictions of dracula and bram stoker's dracula and the depictions of vampires through anne rice is so much more different and so much of a more modern take than the original counterparts in which people were so afraid about the mass hysterias that it would create from people honestly believing that their loved ones are coming back to life to cause harm in a lot of ways was merely because of mis information and not understanding science or again the church is believing people turning into these things because a person had the audacity to say something the church didn't like in today's modern time and era of vampires you have people who actually are part of a subculture largely within the goth community that they call themselves vampires they will sleep in coffins they will exchange blood back and forth they will act nocturnal things of that nature they will take on the aspects not of the vampirific actors and attributes of the early depictions of the vampire but they will look at more of modern society's take on it and movies and televisions take on it and they themselves will enact that in their daily lives and that is what we call modern day vampirism so whether you are a strigoi of the past or a dampier of the past or whether you are a a more modern creature of the night. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and a little bit of a revelation of the older ideas and myths and folklore of the early vampire compared to the more modern take on the newer looks of Dracula and vampires we know as Lestat and things of that nature. I hope you enjoyed.
a little look in the history of vampires and this is tales at 3 a.m until next time